The Bible's not about you. Those are not my words, of course. That was Pastor Matt Chandler, but it just sounds better when he says it. Let's unpack that statement, though. My name is Adam Butler. You're listening to Bubblegum Gospel Podcast. The Bible is not about you. What does that mean? We could clear up so many bad sermons and so much bad theology if we would just get that one point. But speaking of that, this sermon by Pastor Matt Chandler is called God is for God. And he, if you're not familiar with him, he's the pastor at the Village Church. He's also the author of an excellent book called The Explicit Gospel that lays out the gospel message in full detail. I would highly recommend reading that. But this sermon that he preached, God is for God, this was several years ago, was not preached at his church. This was actually preached at Elevation Church, Pastor Stephen Furtick. And it was during their Code Orange revival. I don't remember exactly how many years ago it was, but it's been a while. And um, he preached it at Elevation, and it's so relevant both to sermons today, Christians today, but also in the context in which it was preached. It was preached at Elevation, and what's interesting about this is, and I won't go into a lot of detail here, this is not what today's topic is about, but I just find it very interesting that Elevation actually took this sermon off of their website. In other words, if you're searching on Elevation's own website, the church at which this sermon was preached, you can't find it anymore. Why is that? Well, I'm just speculating here, but it could be that the sermon that Pastor Chandler preached was a little bit too hardcore for Elevation standards. Now, People have some pretty strong opinions about Elevation, about Pastor Stephen. Um, I have an opinion too. I'm not going to, like I say, I'm not going to share it today. But the short answer is, I just said I'm not going to share it, but here I am sharing it. The short answer, the elevator pitch, is there are definitely some aspects of Elevation Church that I disagree with from a biblical standpoint. Not, Not my opinion. I'm talking about from a biblical perspective of what the church should be. Now, I'm not going to come out and say that Pastor Stephen is a heretic or a false teacher per se, but he has said some questionable things from the pulpit. And if you've read my book, Bubblegum Gospel, um, my chapter on culture versus the church, especially, but really the whole book, Elevation is the kind of church, the, the attractional seeker church that I had in mind and that really kind of inspired me to start writing the book, Bubblegum Gospel. And I'm not saying that as one of these distant observers either. I've actually been to Elevation. I'm not familiar with all of Pastor Stephen's sermons, but I'm familiar with the church and with the church culture and what they believe and how they approach worship, how they approach uh, their sermons and, and all aspects of church. And so again, not to go into a lot of detail about that, that's not what today's topic is about, but definitely go check out that sermon, God is for God by Pastor Matt Chandler. But what do we mean when we say the Bible is not about you? What do I mean by that? Well, I don't think it takes a scholar to recognize that our culture, Western American culture, is very individualistic. Egocentric, that is. Everything is about us. Have you noticed that? Our culture is centered around us, right? What do we seek to make of our lives? What's going to make us happy? What's going to make me happy? Um, And this method of thinking, this individualism, has made its way into the church, and this is not recent. I mean, this is this has been in the church for a long time, but it's unfortunate because it's made its way into our sermons, and what ends up happening is that we interpret Scripture through that same lens. And these individualistic, attractional, seeker church pastors are not helping. They're actually contributing to the problem because they've adopted this 
egocentric gospel, and I talk about this in the book, um, in one of the chapters it's called, It's Not All About Us, and I tackle this question in depth. But these pastors have started preaching sermons that are all about how to live your best life. I mean, you know the Joel Osteen, the famous Joel Osteen book, Your Best Life Now. Um, it's all about how how to find your true potential, how to find your purpose, you know, and and it's all about me, me, me. It's the meism of our culture, and it's it's just permeating these types of churches, and so as a result, it's it's a very bad understanding of what Scripture is really all about. You see, at some point along the way, along the rise of the modern American church, we bought into this idea that if your sermon does not have two or three practical takeaways, two or three practical steps that you can go back home with and chew on, that if your sermon doesn't have that, if it's not practical in those sense, then it's not a good sermon. And that's just largely untrue. That's simply not the case. And I'm not saying that there won't be sermons like that. There absolutely will be. I mean, you just read through Paul's epistles. There's a lot of practical takeaways from those. But not every sermon needs to be practical. And in fact, when we fall into this trap and end up trying to make every sermon practical, we, if we're not careful, can end up interpreting some scripture in the wrong way. Because when we try to twist scripture to make every little verse apply to us, we're going to end up reading into it, remember eisegesis, as opposed to reading out exegesis, we're going to read into the into scripture meanings that were not intended by the author. See, a quick lesson in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, that's just a fancy word for saying textual interpretation. In hermeneutics, there's this concept known as the AIM, the aim of the story. What is the author's intended meaning? In other words, when we're reading scripture, we've got to keep this in mind. Look for the aim of the story. It doesn't matter what it means to me. What matters is what the authors meant when they wrote it. Because remember, they were the ones that were inspired by God. God spoke through the authors, through their pens. And so we should be looking to say, or looking to what did they mean when they wrote scripture? Because they're the ones who were inspired by God. So what is the author's intended message? And if we can get this, then again, we can clear up a lot of bad theology, a lot of bad sermons. But going back to the question, the Bible is not about you. This does not mean that the Bible doesn't apply to you. This doesn't mean that the Bible is not relevant. But it does mean that it doesn't apply in the way, in the same way that too many pastors have come to believe and have tailored their sermons around. And I'll just give you a few obvious examples. Just look at the Old Testament. Let's start there. Because, as we'll see in here in a minute, the Old Testament is a lot less practical than the New Testament. By the way, this is one of the reasons that a lot of pastors won't preach through the Old Testament. I think that's wrong. I, I disagree with that entirely. But there's a lot of very, very biblically sound pastors who just won't preach through the Old Testament because of this reason that, well, it's not practical. And we want our sermons to be practical. The goal of preaching is not practical steps. It's not some motivational speech. The goal of preaching is to say, here's what the Bible says. It's the shepherd leading the flock, right? But let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look at, for example, look at the book of Hosea. What is Hosea about? Well, Hosea was a prophet, and he marries a prostitute named Gomer. 
And Gomer is continually unfaithful. She goes out and she does what prostitutes do. She sells her body to other men. But God tells Gomer, or God tells Hosea rather, you need to stay with her. Stay with her even though she's continually unfaithful. Now there's more to the book than that, but that's kind of just the the gist of what, the setting of what's going on. Now, okay, put yourself in the pastor's shoes. You're preaching through Hosea. What is the takeaway? What is the moral of the story, if you will? Well, I guess I need to go marry a prostitute and stay with her even when she's unfaithful. No, that's not what the story's about. I mean, that's what the story's about, but that's not what applies to me. That, that story does not have to do with me. I am not Hosea in that story. Does that make sense? You say, well, wait a minute, then why is it in the Bible? See, again, that question assumes that the Bible is all about me and that if it's in the Bible, then it directly applies to me. This is a, a misunderstanding of Scripture. Why is Hosea in the Bible? Well, look at the context. What we see in the story of Hosea is not a picture of my life. We're actually seeing a picture of God's faithfulness to Israel. Hosea is God in the story. God is painting a picture through Hosea. He's saying, look, this is me. This is my love for Israel. Gomer is Israel. Israel had a history of unfaithfulness to God. In fact, God even describes Israel as a prostitute in Ezekiel, in very descriptive language, I might add, that Israel is constantly selling herself to these other idols, these other men. She's prostituting herself, that Israel was consistently unfaithful, but God did not abandon her. God was faithful to Israel, even when she wasn't to him. So what we learn through this story is not any practical thing, here's how to be a better person, here's how to be a better Christian. That's not, that's not what Hosea is about. What we learn about is God's faithfulness to Israel. Because that narrative, the God's faithfulness to Israel, plays a huge role in the grand scheme of the Bible. Because after all, it is through Israel that God brought forth the bloodline of the Messiah who would redeem the world. Israel is still God's chosen people. And then you look at some of the more popular examples. The most famous one is David and Goliath. You hear these sermons like, Be a David, right? You, you are David, and Goliath is your problems. Goliath is, I don't know, your boss at work. Goliath is your anxiety. Goliath is, you know, and, and we're applying these stories to ourselves when really... That story has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God's faithfulness to whom? To Israel and the redemption to the rest of the world. Now there's, there's aspects that we can learn about God that apply to our lives, but that story is not about us. As Pastor Chandler says in that sermon later on, he says, look, you're not David. You throw your stones and you miss. David is a type of Christ, and I'm going to unpack this in a little bit more detail here soon, but David is a type of Christ. He doesn't represent me. He represents Jesus because he's a redeemer to the people. If anybody, if we're going to put ourselves in the story, we're the cowarding Israelites who were too afraid to stand up. And David is not me. David is Jesus. There's this picture of redemption that is consistent throughout Scripture. But we just take these stories and we twist them. We, we want them so badly to be about us. We want to take away these practical steps. And what, we're, what we end up with is what's known as moralistic therapeutic deism. And what that consists of is just practical, oftentimes feel-good 
advice, basically. Uh, as Ray Comfort says, we've got men in pulpits who should be motivational speakers, right? And so it, and, and what happens is you end up neglecting the gospel, the gospel message, the message of redemption, because you've replaced it with this feel-good theology and th that takes the Bible and makes it all about me. But a good rule of thumb is this. The Bible was not written to us about us. It was written for us about God. And because of that, there are things in Scripture that do not apply to us at all. There are parts of Scripture that don't have anything to do with us and everything to do with God. Now, there are, like I said a second ago, there are aspects of Scripture, there are plenty of passages in Scripture that we should directly apply to our lives. But the point here is that the Bible is not about us. We're not the star of Scripture. We're not the subject. God is. Jesus is. So the Old Testament is a great place to start because it's, it, granted, it's harder to preach through the Old Testament. Because of this reason, there's not as much practicality. You say, why is that? Well, there's a few things. There are things in Scripture that are descriptive, and there are things in Scripture that are prescriptive. This is an important distinction to make. A lot of stuff in Scripture is descriptive. It's just describing things that happen, or it's describing the nature of God, or it's describing um, Israel, a narrative of Israel. But there are things that are prescriptive, which God is saying, here's how you should live as a follower of Jesus. Largely speaking, and there are exceptions to this, and I'll briefly address them, but as a general rule of thumb, the Old Testament is descriptive, whereas the New Testament is more so prescriptive. Again, that's not the case for all of it, all of either one, but the Old Testament is more so descriptive, the New Testament is more so prescriptive. What do I mean by that? Well, you look at the Old Testament, a lot of what you're reading is just historical narrative, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, uh, Kings, Samuel. These are all historical narratives. They're following Israel, they're following God's faithfulness, and they don't really apply to us in the same way. Whereas the New Testament, you've got instructions from people like Paul and Peter and James on here's how to live under this new covenant. Hence the name the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. The Old Testament follows old covenants. You had the Adamic covenant in Genesis. You had the Abrahamic covenant. You had the Davidic covenant. All of those are followed by what is called the New Covenant, which is the covenant that Jesus established on the cross. The New Covenant is what applies to us today. The Old Covenant, according to Hebrews chapter 8, no longer applies. It's obsolete. So that being said, there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that do not apply to anybody, not even to Israel. See, because a lot of the Old Covenant was specific to Israel as a people. But once the New Covenant was established, the Old Covenant was made obsolete. And so not only does it no longer apply to, to us, but it also no longer applies to Israel. So the New Covenant is in place for all people. I know we're getting into some deep theology here, but this is so important. This is the kind of stuff that we need to hear from the pulpits more often because a proper understanding of Scripture will help us establish a proper understanding of how to live. So, the Old Testament, most of it is descriptive, with some exceptions. Of course, you've got the Proverbs, which these are just 
um, small takeaways of wisdom, small verses of wisdom that apply to our lives. They're not universal, but they're helpful nonetheless. Then you've got the Psalms, which are basically just songs or praises or laments. For example, you've got Psalms that are just David weeping over his own sin. You've got Psalms that are just marveling in the nature of God. So that being said, not every Psalm, you're not going to get a lot of practical theology out of reading the Psalms, but you'll read the Psalms and you'll probably walk away worshiping, right? Because that's what they're for. They're songs of praise or lament, um, just relishing in the goodness and the mercy or even the wrath of God. And some of them are practical. Some of them are pleased directly to God, but a lot of them are just, God, you're awesome, right? So you've got the Psalms, you've got Proverbs, then of course you've got the prophets. You've got books like Daniel, which have eschatology in them, which talk about events that haven't yet occurred. And so I bring those up to make the point that not all of the Old Testament is description, but a lot of it is. A lot of it is just historical narrative. But historical narrative is important because, again, we learn things about God. We learn things about Israel. The book of Genesis alone, if you take out the book of Genesis, I would argue that the rest of the biblical meta narrative, the, the whole of Scripture, doesn't make sense. It, just the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the rest of Scripture doesn't make sense. You can't properly understand the New Testament without the Old Testament, and vice versa. You can't understand the Old Testament without the New. Because the entire Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus and his redemption on the cross. And then the rest of the New Testament, after the Gospels, looks back at that event. Jesus is the star of Scripture, not me, not you, Jesus. He's the center of it all. And once we understand that, well, that's going to change the way that we interpret Scripture. I mentioned a second ago the types of Christ. We make the mistake of trying to moralize these Old Testament narratives. You take Abraham, for example. Abraham is not the good guy in the story. Oh, he's used by God, but he's a sinner, just like everybody else besides Jesus. Everybody who's ever existed besides Jesus is a sinner. So Abraham is not the good guy. He might be the focus of the story, but he's not the star. Jesus is. You say, how so? Jesus wasn't even born yet. Abraham is a type of Christ. He is not Christ, but he is meant to point us toward Christ. Because you look at the example of Abraham and Isaac. God tells Abraham, offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham is faithful. He offers Isaac as a sacrifice, but God holds his hand and says, do not kill the child. And so what we see here is a picture of redemption that is to come. That Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Isaac was just an example. He was a foreshadowing. He was imperfect. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. I mean, we see this as far back as the story of Adam and Eve. Adam is a type of Christ. We see the first sacrifice that ever occurs is in the book of Genesis when God kills the first animal in order to create clothes for them to cover their nakedness, their shamefulness. And this is pointing us toward Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, who covers, and not only covers, but also washes away our sin and our shame. So again, everything in the Old Testament is pointing toward this one event. And then everything after that looks back on it. Now, let's take the New Testament. We talked about the Old Testament, how it doesn't directly apply to us in the same way that we might think. The New Testament is a lot more applicable. Why? Because it's a new covenant that applies to the church. Who is the church? Well, anybody who claims to be a Christian. And so there's a lot more practical things because the New Testament is saying, okay, 
the sacrifice, the perfect redemption, the, the Redeemer, the Messiah, He came. He was Jesus. And so now, here's how you should live in light of that. But even so, there's still things in the New Testament that don't directly apply. Paul, let's just look at Paul's letters, for example. Paul's epistles, they are what we might refer to as open letters. What that means is that the author has an audience in mind. The author is writing to somebody specific, but he's also writing with the intention of other people besides that audience reading it. You look at the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians, for example. Paul is writing to a specific audience, the church in Corinth, but he's also writing it as part of the inspired text of Scripture. Now that being said, Corinthians applies to us as well, but he's writing it to the Corinthians. Same thing is true with Romans. He's writing to the church in Rome, but he's writing it with the mindset that other Christians are going to benefit, benefit from these letters as well. And because of that, there are certain things in these books, uh, Corinthians is the one that came to mind, there are things in these books that might seem a little bit strange to us because they were specific to that culture. We talked about in the last episode about the issue of alcohol, um, and I used Corinthians to try to explain this a little bit better. But Paul talks about meat offered to idols. Now, eating meat offered to idols is not an issue that we run into a lot in Western culture. It's not something that we're familiar with, but it was something that was very familiar to the people of that culture that Paul is writing. So, not to get back into that, um, go back and listen to that other podcast. But the point here is, even in the New Testament, there are things that do not directly apply to us. And I mean that to say they don't apply to us in the sense that everything that you read in Scripture is all about you. That's the point that I'm trying to make. We're still learning about the faithfulness of God in the New Testament. We're still learning about uh, the character of Jesus and the perfect sacrifice of Christ. But not everything in Scripture is about you, and the whole of Scripture is definitely not about you. So you say, well, Adam, you just made everything a lot more confusing. That is not my intention. But I do want to say that it is important to understand how to interpret Scripture so that we can avoid falling into these false teachings that are so prevalent in our culture today. Because these false gospels that are being preached by these moralistic, therapeutic, feel-good pastors, they damn people. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that. If you're preaching a false gospel that does not talk about the redemption of Christ, that does not talk about the reality of sin, the need for repentance, the wrath of God, the grace of Christ. Incomplete gospels are not true gospels. So we have to get this if we want to understand the gospel entirely. So, that being said, let me leave you with this, a very quick, practical way to interpret Scripture without misinterpreting it. And I got this from Dr. Frank Turek. Again, I've probably mentioned him a few times on this podcast. He's one of my favorite apologists and authors. But he teaches a course called How to Interpret Your Bible. And he gives this acronym, STOP. Anytime you're reading scripture, stop. Stop to interpret scripture. And the acronym stands for this. Situation, type, object, and prescription. Let me break that down very briefly. So the first, the, the S, whenever you're reading scripture, you start with the S. What is the situation? That is where we look for the context. Context is key, as K. Arthur says. Look for the context. Always, always, always pay attention to the context of scripture. Remember, I mentioned a few episodes ago how Greg Kokel says, never read a Bible verse. 
Never focus on one verse until you get what is around that verse. When you yank a verse out of context, that's the easiest way to eisegete a meaning that's not meant to be there. So, what is the context? What's going on? Who's writing this? Um, What's happening in the story? Where are we in history? What's going on? What's the context? That's the situation. The next one is T, type. What is the type of literature? Is this historical narrative? Is it poetry, like Psalms? Is it eschatology, like Revelation? Is it... Um, Paul's epistles? Is it pastoral epistles? What is the type of literature? Because that will help, that will influence the way that you interpret. We mentioned that a second ago. So, situation, type. O is for object. Who is the author writing to? Let me bring up one of my favorite examples. Jeremiah 29.11. This is one of the most commonly taken out of context verses in the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, plans to give you hope in a future. We love this verse because it's so inspiring, and we love to apply it directly to us. But in reality, this verse has nothing to do with us. And I talk about this among other verses in the chapter that talks about um, verses taken out of context. But Jeremiah 29.11 is not about me and you. Jeremiah 29.11 is speaking specifically to Israel, the exiles in Babylon. So if you're not in exile in Babylon, Jeremiah 29.11 does not apply to you. So, who is the object? Who is the author writing to? That will also influence how we interpret Scripture. And lastly, the P for prescription. We already dove into this. This is asking the question, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? And again, just differentiating between whether you're reading the Old or the New Testament, that'll clear up that question really quickly for you. Again, not always that simple, but that's a very important question to ask. Is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Does this apply directly to me or is this simply describing um, historical narrative, the character of God, the nature of Christ's sacrifice, what have you? So stop to interpret scripture. Don't just read a verse out of context. And we've got to get out of this mindset that whenever we're reading Scripture, there has to be practicality. That's not always true. There is a lot of things in Scripture that are not directly applicable to us. And knowing that is going to save you a lot of bad theology. So, I hope you found this helpful. I hope that this will encourage you and maybe help you understand Scripture a little bit better. And hopefully this will make you more aware, more discerning of some potentially bad sermons that are out there by teachers who want nothing more than the gospel to be meism, individualism, and feel-good theology. There's so much more to scripture than that. So, again, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to Bubblegum Gospel Podcast. My name is Adam Butler. Take it easy.